This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now have a time of our scripture reading. So I will invite our sister Lena to come out to uh, read to us. Uh, so if you have a Bible or you see the Bible next to you, please use it. Uh, this second is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and you can look at it. Uh, you can take uh, the page number, it's actually page 1145. So you can refer to that. Okay? So do make use of the Bible that is next to you so they can uh, you know, uh, read it through. Use it. Uh, hi everyone, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, of the or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'll now pass the time over to Pastor Andrew, who will share us God's word. Thanks Eugene and thanks Lena for reading today's passage. A very warm welcome to everyone. It's always a privilege to be with God's people. And uh, I hope you have your Bible. If not, there are physical Bibles all over the hall. Please grab one because the passage is not on screen. So it would be great if you have a Bible 
with you. The page number for the Church Bible is 1,145. So if you have your Bible open, it will be great. If you need more Bibles, there are some right in front as well. Why don't we ask God to help us to begin? Heavenly Father, you know the thoughts of all men and women. And you know our thoughts and what we have been through for the week. As we gather in your presence, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us and to help us to hear you. Oh God, we cannot know you unless you speak to us and we thank you that you have given us your word and your spirit. So be with us this afternoon as we look at 1 Corinthians 2. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. So for a very uh, happy Children's Day for the youths, host children. Um, some of you have finished their exams, so congratulations. Many of you have one more week to go and still some others have more weeks to go. But you get there. But it's great to have everyone here. Now we live in this world where we are obsessed with gaining knowledge and skills. And our online learning industry has been exploding and it's said that in a couple of years' time it will pass the trillion dollar mark. So influencers are gaining millions of followers and their YouTube channels are clocking into billions of views. Now you and I, we swipe our phones to watch gurus who seem to have the influence, the charisma, the wisdom to help us lead a more successful and happy life, or that's what is being claimed. And in between our advertisement promising us secret wisdom to 10x our productivity, 10x our finances, 10x our influences in this world, the world tells us that we need skills and we need wisdom, and this can make huge difference between getting a million followers on your Instagram or just your mom as the only one. So we are in a world that is seeking after knowledge and skills, and this is not a new phenomenon. In fact, this was the cultural scene in Corinth in the days of Paul as we look at today's passage. People following persuasive orators in their cities or crowding to listen to visiting orators and influencers. Now, back in chapter 1 that we began last week, Paul spoke of two kinds of wisdom. They are working amongst the people, the worldly wisdom and God's wisdom. Now, when we think about worldly wisdom, we often think in terms of intellectual knowledge, in which it means that it will give us the worldly power, the greatness, the fame that we desire. And it was true in the days of Corinth, because even for them like Singapore, power, fame, and status are gained by merit and not merely inherited. So people will pay good money to hear eloquent speakers who will make them feel better or promise them that they will be wiser than before. So such were the display of worldly wisdom, the gathering of knowledge to make ourselves successful. But as Paul enters Corinth, he said he came not to teach the knowledge of worldly wisdom, rather he came teaching God's wisdom which declared Christ and him crucified. So there was no personal boasting for Paul. And if you're kind of listening to Paul and you 
hear and receive it, there's no boasting for you because Paul points to Christ and you end up having to point to Christ and say, He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is our redemption. There is no kind of Instagrammable selfie for ourselves. God's wisdom was ultimately Christ-centered. So as we come to chapter 2, that is the scene that we have in Corinth. There are these two kind of wisdom. So as we come to chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 5, Paul begins to say this about himself, that it was intentional that he came to Corinth not to display worldly wisdom. Rather, he came to present God's wisdom because that's how Christ came to us. If you have your Bible, look at verses 1 and one to 3 with me. In verse 1, it says this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of speech or human wisdom. Verse 2, it says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And verse 3, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Now, elsewhere, we actually do know that Paul is pretty impressive. He has this very deep and impressive CV. Uh, in the book of Acts, Acts 22, it tells us Paul was actually grown up in a, in a city. He was a city boy. And he was trained under the feet of the great Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a great man that was honored by everyone. Even Acts tells us that when he speaks, the councils listens. So he was a very influential man and Paul trained under him. In fact, we know Paul himself was influential because as a young man, earlier on, he had the voice and the words that threatens people, that people runs away. He will walk up to the high priest himself and say, I want some letters so that I can bring some Christians back and jail them. And he'll get letters and he'll get soldiers and he will go off to arrest Christians. He was influential. He was charismatic when he was younger before he became a Christian. So Paul knew how to display worldly wisdom that can evoke power, authority, but here he chose not to. So here in Corinth, Paul resolved that he would not win people with impressive Greek rhetoric, with charming words, with topics that people are interested in. Rather, he chose to speak only of one and only one topic, the topic of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it was Paul's resolution that he would do only what served the gospel to the people and not what people's expectations of him, that hot demand, what do you want to hear from him? And he speaks, he doesn't do that. He refused to offer seductive promises that you get health and wealth and fame and comfort and pleasure and worldly success. He says, none of these things, because he would not compete with the big personalities. So on the opposite, verse 3, Paul came to them, he says, in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Now, Paul is one who is not afraid of man. If you follow Paul's Instagram now, you know that he's not afraid of man, but he comes with fear and trembling because what he fears or what he trembles is the responsibility that God has given him so that he will be a faithful messenger of God. So in Corinth, Paul did not ask for money like the other orators, but we are told that he, he worked hard, this from Acts, he worked hard as a tent maker, he supported himself so that his message was free to listeners in order that God's message doesn't reach out to just the rich who could buy tickets, but also to the poor who can't buy the last meal. 
that the gospel of God reaches them. So in a worldly sense, Paul actually looked very unimpressive. So imagine you're in a convention center, you enter and there's this people, man with tuxedos and looking very fine and they have this stage where he can, they can go up and, and give talks about how to be great, how to be successful in life. And then you come, this man who is wearing just plain clothes and saying that, come to me, I want to tell you a message that will change your life forever. That's the kind of scene you actually get in Korean because there's one unimpressive man and there are plenty who are selling tickets and thousands of dollars of people are flogging in to them. But the question is, why did Paul choose to present himself as a humble messenger in a city that honors orators that are famous and influential? Now, the answer is actually in verses 4 to 5. So if you have your Bible, look at it. Here, Paul says that he made sure that his message was not a presentation of worldly wisdom through persuasive word, but a demonstration of of the Spirit's power. Now, what does it mean when Paul says that when I preach that, it will not be by persuasive word, but by the demonstration of the Spirit's power? What is the demonstration of the Spirit's power? I think it is this, that it is the conviction, the conversion, the communion of a people for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit's power is demonstrated that when the message is preached out, the church in Corinth became in existence. Paul says this in a different way in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says this, that, that our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and a deep, deep connect, conviction. So through the message proclaimed, God's Spirit displayed His power by convincing the Corinthians of their sin, converting them to follow Christ rather than the world, and connecting them with each other as a body of Christ. So the Christian's faith comes not by persuasive rhetoric that merely targets our emotions because orators are really good at engaging the heart. But that's not how our Christian faith comes about, merely by targeting our emotions, but is founded on word and spirit. And this is crucial because you and I, if we only depend on the charisma of a speaker, if you come to a church and you depend on the charisma of your pastor, what's going to happen to you if he falls, if he quits, if he dies? You have to find someone else to keep your, prop your faith up. And Paul says that is not the way. So look at verse 5. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now recently, I, in fact, this week I had a conversation with a sister in Christ, a, a mother whose child was invited by another church for a church event. Uh, I assume that it's evangelistic when I look at the, the flyer because it's Children's Day, so they invited the, the, the child. So the invite, when I look at it, it was very colorful. I, I like the pictures. It promises lots of food and fun. It sounds great. There are games, there are cartoons, there are machines that you can play on, there are art and craft. They're all very good and exciting, and I, I would love to have brought my kids there. Until finally, at the end, this is what it says. And we also have character building through Bible stories. Character building through Bible stories. No, actually, pause. Omar, I wondered, 
What does it mean? Character building through Bible story if you're a non-believing parent as you send your kids there. What, what does it mean? Does it mean that the kids, when they go there, they're going to hear someone telling them that Jesus died for your sin because you're a sinner, just like your parents, just like us, and you need to turn back so that you have eternal life? Or would they be hearing something like this, that let me tell you about David so that if you know David and the secrets of his, secret source of his five pebbles, your life gets leveled up to the next level. What is character building? through Bible stories. There's a danger when we follow the ways and the wisdom of the world and the Bible becomes a moral fable or a personal development illustration. In a world where worldly wisdom is the way to go, we need to pause, all of us, when you enter a church, you need to pause. You need to pause and ask yourself, this question is, am I persuaded by the speaker's charisma, by the church activities, by the emotional high in the music, by the affirmation we get every week when we come? Or are we drawn by the message of Christ and the cross, by the conviction of God's power of our sinfulness because we want to be our own gods, to be converted, to follow Jesus, and to connect with other Christians, not for personal level up, but to recognize that we grow together as a family in Christ. And Paul, he says, he resolved that his message and his preaching were not with worldly wisdom, with persuasion, with the marketing skills, so that God's message, the gospel, would rightly display God's power by raising the spiritually dead for eternal life. God's message displays God's Power. The question for us is, are we dependent on God's message and power rather than worldly wisdom for our salvation? Now, while the world may think that Paul was unimpressive and his message foolishness, Paul said he was actually proclaiming a message of wisdom, but among the mature in verse 6, it turns out that while some people hear Paul's message, it's kind of unimpressive foolishness, there are somehow a group of people who hear Paul's and understood that that is God's message. The, this who hears it, Paul calls them the mature in verse 6. Now my question is, who are the mature? Uh, I was telling the, the, the first congregation, if we think of mature as people who are older and more fully developed prefrontal cortex, service 1 is probably the mature ones rather than second service. Because we are still under 25, we are still growing, and we are chasing after that maturity. Was it a maturity in terms of age, in terms of thinking? Perhaps the way to understand who these mature are, actually, is to first understand what is Paul doing here and whom he's comparing it with. So we have softball people here, some of the youths. So imagine you have two groups, maybe one in blue, one in red. This is what Paul is saying. One group, they are called the mature. The other group is not called the immature. They are called the rulers of this age. Kind of weird comparison. Mature and the rulers of this age. I think what is trying to say, Paul, what Paul is trying to say here is that the mature is not about age, but rather the mature are those 
who are not the people of this age. So the rulers of this age follow the wisdom of this age. And verse 6, they come to nothing. The rulers of this age, they do not just mean the individuals with political powers, but they represent the power and influence that rules the world. But meanwhile, the mature who are not of this age, they are the ones that receive the gospel as God's wisdom. And this we understood earlier in verse 4 was the Spirit's power, God's power. And so the mature here, when Paul says mature, are actually those who are transformed by God's power. And they actually refers to Christians, all Christians, not just mature ones, but Christians. I remember going to watch Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian in the cinema. I don't know how long ago was that. It's been a while. So I remember going there, and that was the first time they have this thing called the 3D movie theater. And uh, they give us these glasses. They're not that cool, but they're kind of paper ones with some film. But you sort of wear it, and when you watch the 3D, it's fun. So that was the first time I heard about 3D movies. I went in, I put it in my pocket, because it's just kind of folded there. And when the movie starts, I was like, Hey, dude, what's happening, man? Everything looks so gibberish. Like, I thought for maybe they're going to adjust the lens, but nobody adjusts the lens. Isn't anyone complaining? I look up, everyone seems happy. And then I realize, everyone has got this red and blue thing on their face and they're smiling and I'm the only one wearing my glasses. And I was like, what's this? So suddenly when I took it out and put it on, suddenly I realized everything comes alive. Suddenly the water from the photo frame pops out and I was like, wow, okay, this is cool, this is real. Uh, and, and I realized there was this missing thing that if I was in a crowd event with them, but if I don't have it, I don't get it. And this is what is happening here. The matures, they get it. What did they get? Verse 7, look at it. A mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. The hidden mystery, hidden secret before creation is really, we understood this as the message about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Lord of glory. And if He is the Lord of glory, then His people who loves Him gets to share His glory as He is revealed glorious. So we get a share of that glory since the beginning, because since the beginning, He is the Lord of glory. But verse 8 tells us, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, because the rulers of this age, they did not understand God's wisdom, they don't have the lenses, they were unable to recognize and accept who Jesus was. And so the prominent rulers of this age, those Herod of the Tetrarch, Caiaphas, the high priest, Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect of Judea, verse 8, they crucified the Lord of glory, they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they were mere representative because Acts 2 actually tells us when Peter was speaking to Christ, he says, all of you are the ones that put Jesus on the cross when you nail him there with the help of a wicked man. So even the rulers of this age are referring to those who are influenced in this age in opposition to the Lord. So as we think a bit about application, think for a moment in, in our own experience. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, why some people hear the gospel and they believe? And why some people hear the gospel and they hate it? It's got nothing to do with how smart they are. It's got nothing to do with how influential they are. 
Paul makes the point that the ability to understand accept Jesus as the Lord of glory is not dependent on how clever, how capable, how powerful we are in the world. Because believing in Jesus is not dependent on worldly wisdom. We are told here that the most powerful people in Jesus' days, the most powerful ones, they could not understand God's wisdom. But when we read the Bible, we hear even the lowly ones, you have the fishermen, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, they totally get it. And they were saved, awaiting for a glory that the rest do not know. God's wisdom, it tells us here in 6 to 9, is recognized by those who are God's people. Paul explained this future glory that God has prepared. Paul explained this future glory that God has prepared in verse 9, if you have it. Let me read to you. He says, No eyes, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, what has God prepared for his people? Well, this passage, some say it's taken from Isaiah 64, 65, but let me just tell you what, 65, God has declared to his people. This is what he says to his people. The Lord declares this, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, you and I here, let's think for a moment, which of us would actually ever imagine that Christ and the cross is God's way to save us. Who comes up with that? Which of us can imagine new heavens and a new earth for those who are saved and we get to bask in glory, but not our own glory, we bask in the glory of our Lord of glory. Who comes up with that, that we enjoy glory because He is glorious? And so good is eternity. It says here that the former things will be like a bad dream. You know, all the bad things that you, you had in your life, all the experiences, everything, it, it becomes at some point eternity kind of a bad dream. Something you remember, you had a bad taste of something, but you look back, it's far away, it's no longer there. It just disappears along the way because of the glory you get to enjoy more and more and more and more in eternity. Who comes out with that? Dear friends, in the world where online knowledge and trainings are tagged with a high price, while the Bible we hold in our hands seems pretty free and ancient, we must not forget that what the world can offer, they cannot offer God. The greatest scientists can't discover God. It is God who reveals Himself to us. So it is true for the Corinthian Christian, it is true for us, so while it seems that gaining worldly wisdom is the way to be more marketable, that's true, lucrative, pretty good, popular, receive worldly glory, yes. Yet Paul warns that no matter how good they are, they eventually mount to nothing in verse 6. And meanwhile, the mature will receive that true glory into eternity and will culminate there as Christ reveals His total glory in the later days to come. So the question for us is, will we know and treasure this glory in Jesus so much that we are just willing to look lightly at the glory of this age? That we will treasure the glory that is to come so much that the present glory is seen lightly and we hold lightly. And if we lose it, it's not a big deal. Just we lose it a bit earlier, but you still lose it. 
Now, someone may ask, how can we know all this is true? Well, Paul says in verse 10, he goes on, that these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. Now, I want to put it clear for us, when he says the us here, it really, first of all, refers to Paul and those with the apostolic authority. What he declared did not come from himself, says Paul. They are revealed to him by God's Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit's revelation rather than Paul's imagination that God reveals himself to us. Now just imagine for a moment uh, a single young man. Okay, we have more single young men in this group. Just imagine you have a single young man, you're in a party, and then you saw this really pretty young lady across looking at you and smiling. What will you be thinking? I don't know, what, do, what do the ladies think? What, what do the guys think? Like, if you're single, you see this really pretty young lady smiling at you. If your ego is high, you probably think, oh, that's me, right? If you're kind of a bit not sure, you look back just to make sure there's nobody else, there's nobody there. Maybe I'm not that bad. Like, pretty cool. Uh, what do you think? If, what she's thinking? Maybe you're right that, what, what's the discussion? What do you think? Maybe you're right that, she did find that you're pretty, uh, good-looking, and attractive. Or maybe she's into this thing called the intermittent fasting. So she's waiting that lunch is coming, the bell is ringing, she's smiling and thinking that she's time to eat. Like, she's just smiling to herself like you're just happening to be in her side, but she didn't even see you, right? So you never know unless the person speaks to you and tells you what he or she is thinking. And that is the analogy that Paul is saying here, that a person cannot know the thoughts of another person deep enough unless that person is willing to bring his or her hidden thoughts out in the open for us. It's the same in all kinds of relationships, that you expect people to read you, but they can't. Even if you tell them, it takes a while to understand. In a similar way, we cannot possibly discover God's own thoughts and God's will and God's plans unless God is willing to reveal himself to us. And that is exactly what happened for Paul in verse 12. He says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God in order that we, referring to him and the apostolic authority, may understand what God has freely given us. No, Paul, he substantiates his authority by explaining the source of his message. He has received it from the Holy Spirit. And he goes on verse 13, And this, says Paul, is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Or in your footnote, it will say, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual, to the mature. So he heard it from the Spirit so that he can explain to us spiritual things so that we may know God. Now for us humans to ever know and connect to God, the third person of the trying God, the Holy Spirit, must reveal God to us. And what? And that's what he did. Because scientists, they can't, like what we say, he can't discover God's hidden thoughts. God must reveal his hidden thoughts for us to know him. Now the worldly wisdom cannot turn us back to God because between us and God, there is this huge chasm called our limitation, called our sins, called our rebellion, called us wanting to be God and our judgment. 
Between us and God, there's this huge chasm that we can never know God unless he comes down to reveal himself to us. The natural person, says Paul, without God's spirit, cannot accept the message. The spirited person who accepts the message of God does so only because of God's spirit who comes to us. And so Paul spoke what God's spirit revealed to him and the Corinthians and us we discern, understand, and accept Paul's word because the Holy Spirit enables us to. Now, we always read the Apostles' Creed, but there's one creed that I really like. It's called the Nicene Creed. And um, the, the way the creed writes its declaration help us to understand the Holy Spirit. And let me just read to you one portion of the Nicene Creed. The creed puts it this way. He says, and it's from the Bible, it says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, and He spoke through the prophets. So what He's saying is that the God's Spirit, who comes from God the Father and God the Son, He spoke through the authors of the Bible to reveal God's thoughts to us. Now I want to invite us to take a look at the last verse of this passage and there's something I find so amazing here, and I would like to share it with you. Uh, I put it there, Isaiah, First uh, Corinthians 2, this last verse 16, is taken from Isaiah 40, verse 13. I'm going to read to you the Old Testament one, and then the New Testament, and I want to invite you to have a thing about this with me. So, this is what Isaiah 40, verse 13 says. Who can, in fact, you read it just now, right? Responsive reading. Who can fathom the spirit or the mind of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor. Now, if you read Isaiah 40 in that time, who do you think is the Lord? It is the mind of Jehovah God. That's your Isaiah. Now, as we turn to 1 Corinthians 2.16, this is what it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, Hodge, in his commentary in 1 Corinthians, he puts it this way. What in the Old Testament state of Jehovah is often in the New Testament applied to Christ. And it is the case here. Who has known the mind of the Lord means who has known the mind of Jehovah. And we have the mind of Christ, therefore, means that we have the mind of Jehovah in Christ. What is true of one is now true of the other. Isn't that how Hebrews began that we now know God through the Son? So on this side of the cross, God's Spirit most commonly reveals God the Father to us in God the Son, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean now when he says, but we have the mind of Christ? Well, that's a question some Bible studies may have. What does it mean that we have the mind of Christ? Well, the context provides us with two layers of meanings, and I want to give it to you um, so that we can learn from this. There are two layers of meaning. The first is that the we here in verse 16 refers to Paul because he has the mind of Christ. Those without the Spirit has no authority to pass judgment on him. That's verse 15. When he declares God's message to the world and he is being received by God's people, the world has no say in it. So this first meaning is a declaration, and we need it later on in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a declaration that Paul has authority because he knows Christ through God's Spirit. So that's the first 
uh, layer. The second is an application for those of us who have received and believed and obeyed the apostolic teaching handed down to us. So by God's Spirit, we can also understand spiritual truth and wisdom and discern things in our lives. When we are guided by God's Spirit, we learn to discern all kinds of spiritual things that a person without the Spirit cannot discern and cannot judge us. Christian is not subject to worldly judgment with regards to spiritual methods. No, dear friends, in our world, just like Corinne, we are easily obsessed with all the voices offering us worldly wisdom to 10x our lives. I don't know, do you, do you get it all the time? Or is it just my, my feet? You, you get to kind of be more productive or <laughs> maybe that's what I'm looking at and it's pointed to me. But we are surrounded by successful celebrities and influencers who will speak to millions each day with their wisdom on life, on relationship, on money, on technology, on success, on music, on art, on personal development, and on the spirituals. The question is, are we able to discern between worldly wisdom and God's wisdom? And Paul says, yes. In our world exploding online learning industries, even in schools, where we can easily spend countless of hours on podcasts and Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, to learn virtually anything you want. Like, it's great. You can learn virtually anything we want. But are we able to discern that we will not buy into worldly proposition because they stir our emotions and win our affections? Are we able to discern what is the world's wisdom and what's God's wisdom? When a famous person tells you what he thinks or she thinks about God, you ask, what authority does he or she have? Where did that come from? A famous Hollywood voice coach once said this to his clients, and there's no secret he said this. It's pretty famous. Say to the Hollywood client, says, when you open your mouth, people are not listening to what, to the words you say. They are listening to how you make them feel. Let me say that again. He's a voice coach. He teaches how people use their voice. He says, when you open your mouth, people are not listening to the words you say. They are listening to how you make them feel. If you make me feel good, I think you're right. And Paul says, this is not the wisdom of God. And I refuse to do that. And so the church must be careful that we don't fall into that. But here is what we have as we wrap it up. Having known and believed in Jesus as our Lord and having both God's Spirit and now God's Word with us, will we, these three things for us to take away, will we believe in God's message that it is the gospel of Christ and cross? Will we treasure God's wisdom that's revealed to us that we have a glory awaiting us in Jesus? And will we discern all things by the Spirit because we have been given Christ's mind. Now, as Paul reminds the Corinthians of the wisdom beyond this world, may we also be wise and be reminded that we shall never abandon God's wisdom in the midst of the voices of the world's wisdom, that we, with the Spirit's discernment, knows how to differentiate. Why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit speaks to us through your Word. 
We thank you that we have your word that is from you. That Father, in a world full of gurus and people with plenty of wisdom, some of them are really helpful, but yet none of them can discover you. Anyone who speaks about you must have the authority of the Spirit and the Word. And that's where we come to know you because this is how you reveal yourself to us. So Father, as we journey into this book of 1 Corinthians with the church of Corinth, that you help our church as well, that we may learn to hear your voice, your message, and your spirit. With glory and death of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.